Good evening. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> I came back. Uh, one of the things I like to, uh, it's a bit special for me tonight, and like to uh, welcome uh, Ian Golden. Wave your hand, Ian. Ian's grandfather, not father, because he looks old. <laughs> but uh, Ian's uh, grandfather was my mentor when I first went into ministry. See, and uh, so <laughs> if I ever get sued, then I'll sue your family as well. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So uh, just it's so special to have you. I learned a lot of things from your granddad. And uh, he, he, yeah, kind of built in, into me. Particularly the, the skill of saying what you think before you think about it too much. <laughs> just tell them <laughs> and let them get over it. So the, <laughs> I'm not going to do that tonight. I, I don't think I am. <laughs> Picking up... Uh, on looking at angels. We're looking at uh, Acts chapter 10, if you want to turn to it, because we'll go backwards and forwards looking at it. But in Acts chapter 10, we, we have uh, six paragraphs, grammatically laid out six paragraphs, and they give us uh, the continuing story and journey of the church as it moves from a Jewish heart with some Samaritan edge on it to becoming the beginnings of a world religion and to transition. And part of that transition is the ministry of angels and the objective ministry of, of the Holy Spirit uh, quite clearly. So last week we... Yes. So last week we looked at a little bit on angels, and I won't take as long this week, but just to be to get us a framework to work within. One of the challenges we have is we actually don't preach much about angels. Uh, we don't talk enough about them. Uh, but if you're studying uh, doctrine, Christian belief, or theology, whichever name you want to give it, then as you work through, you start off with, with God. That's the starting place. <laughs> That's a safe one. We start off with God, and then we deal with God as Trinity and God as unity and his moral character and his nature. Uh, and then before we get on to humans and then us falling over, we have the section of what's called angelology, the doctrine of angels. Uh, there's over uh, 200... How's that? There's over uh, 200 references uh, or mentions of, of angels in the scripture. Another thing that uh, I touched on last week is the doctrines or teaching about demons, sometimes called uh, demonology, is not a separate discipline. Very important. It is an element of the discipline of angelology or the study of angels. Uh, the devil doesn't even get his own category. <laughs> And that's, that's important. Another thing uh, is that when we, we look at some of the nature of angels, that the book of Revelation tells us that a third of the host of heaven fell. And that means two-thirds are still loyal to God and still following God. And there's no chance of a second fall. <laughs> so relax. <laughs> and some are held in the... Uh, 
mentioned last week again, uh, too, that the impact of uh, T.W. Ratner, uh, the apostle and founder of the Ratner Church, Ratner Movement, a man that saw over uh, 3,000 documented healings, and at Ratna Pa now near Whanganui, uh, you can go there uh, if you make an appointment to the village of Ratna, which is, in itself is a, a stunning place. And they have a st storeroom of wheelchairs and crutches and all these locked away there. Not that they want to save them to use them again, but to remind them that uh, the movement of the Spirit of God. And his understanding was, we follow the Father, Son, Spirit, and we hear from loyal angels. And so he talked about Father, Son, Spirit, and loyal angels. Some people accused him of making a quad unity out of the Trinity, uh, but it didn't stick. <laughs> But what he was wanting to bring up in, in the face of uh, that stage, Tohungarism, uh, in the face of that, the, uh, not the fallen spirits, but the loyalty of God's created beings. And not just loyal to God, but serving God. So encourage you to look at it sometime. And part of the encouragement is we've got a clipboard somewhere down the back, I think. And uh, in, in it, if you, you want to get some... Uh, uh, a layout of the theology of angels. I've uh, copied um, and made a PDF uh, of a section out of the uh, theology of a fellow called Thiessen, and just put your name there, and uh, yeah, and we'll get it to you. But make sure you, you write it clearly. <laughs> Very important. Moving right along. When we Think about angels, several things. Angels are not glorified human beings. We have a lot of jokes out, you know, cartoon drawings of you know, someone's had an accident and they're, they're standing on a cloud holding on to the steering wheel. <laughs> that's all that's left. And they've got wings on their back and they become an angel. No, they've become a statistic. They have not <laughs> become an angel. The uh, <clears throat> uh, understanding first is angels got up there. Uh, Angels are not glorified human beings. They are what's called incorporeal, which means they are beings without a body. Uh, we are spirit, soul, and body. That's a general idea we draw from Scripture. Uh, they are spirit and soul. And uh, they uh, do not have um, bodies. They are, and yet they are able to work in the physical realm. They're what's called a company and not a host. They're, they don't, not like you and me, we descend from... Adam and Eve or Adam and Mrs. Adam, depends what your theology is on the role of woman. <laughs> if you want to know more, just write that down on there and I will send you a paper on that. <laughs> and it's one that got the good housekeeping tick, so it's okay. <clears throat> and uh, the, uh, we are human race. We descend from mum and dad. We send from what's called in theology a federal head, someone responsible uh, uh, for us. Where angels are a company, they are created individually, they are, don't have the capacity of uh, reproduction within them, themselves. Very important because, again, a lot of movies and program will try to produce that. It seems to be about 10 years back where we had loads of programs about immortals and uh, 
digging into that same area. They're greater in humans than knowledge, but they're not omniscient. That means they have greater knowledge than us, but they don't know everything. Omni is, is all, omniscient is knowledge. They're greater than humans, but they're not omnipotent. So they don't have all power, they have great power. And we, we read through elements of scriptures uh, about the work of angels and the power of angels and the, the rulership of angels in the realm of spirit over countries and nations. And you may have already heard something on that. They are more noble than humans, but they're not omnipresent. That means they, they can't be anywhere than where they are. With that, can't be anywhere than where they are. Yeah. My father was a kind of guy that would say things to people just to, well, mum said to get them going, but he didn't really see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he would use logic and he would use the English language, which for a lot of people where he worked was a surprise. They hadn't heard a lot of the words <laughs> in the English language, just a limited vocab. <laughs> and uh, this particular day, uh, he was in his late 60s at work and uh, some young fellow was being a bit rude to him in, in his work area. He was in uh, one of the uh, uh, top men in the Walton Harbour Ward. And so this guy said to him something and Dad said to him, son, I, I, I got a good mind to whip you one day. When I get you by myself, yourself, I'll, I'll whip you. And the guy said, come on, old fella, have a go. And he said, I can't. Why can't you? I'm by myself. He said, no, I'm with you. <laughs> Work on it. <laughs> Work on it. They can only be in one place. And, uh, uh, but they appear in different places at different times quite quickly moving, there's a, a good old uh, word called ubiquitous. That means appear to be everywhere. And, but they are not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is present everywhere. That, that's enough of that, eh? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Just looking at the uh, classifications of, of angels. First, you're going to talk about good angels. In the good angels, there is uh, seven listed uh, through the scripture. There is uh, the uh, angels, and in our story tonight, angels. There is uh, cherubim, seraphim, the living creatures, archangels, a group called the watchers. They exist. They don't work for the union. <laughs> so unity is a good doctrine and the sons of God so the seven classifications of good angels in the, in the scripture and the theology is adequately there and then there's evil angels and uh, with evil angels this first group that are listed is angels that are kept in prison that means they're no longer free range already in the, the battle in the heavenlies and the bringing down 
uh, of the rebellion, uh, there are some that are already in prison. So that means our third, two-thirds is going up on our side. Hallelujah. There's angels that are free. There are, there's demons, and uh, you've probably heard something about that. And there is Satan in the uh, angel world. Sufficient to say the, the angel world is, is big, it is large, it is real, it is present, it is active. But the work of angels that is important for us to, uh, to grasp onto, there we go, right. go back from that one. The work of angels that is so important for us to catch onto is that they are messengers of God. They serve God, they work with God and they work towards uh, communicating to humans and acting towards humans. So enough on angels. Well, let's talk away. Here, the, the scripture passage, if you've uh, got it, you can follow it or uh, follow it up there. Acts 10.1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Normal response. <laughs> what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. That's where we finished last week. And he uh, is a man that's serving what he knows of God, responding what he knows. And he's not just doing it individually and privately. It influences his household. It influences his uh, military involvement and command. There are encounter engagements that will unfold as, as we're moving along. And look at what role do they play in the biblical story. The first element we'll be looking at is the power of obedience. Folks, obedience is the foremost characteristic of Christians. Yeah? Obedience is the foremost characteristic of Christians. In fact, it, it is the, use, the root of all our development. Because biblical obedience is how we live out from how we take it in. And, and uh, the... the uh, 
look at it this way, I think I mentioned last week, is we have two sets of ears. We have these ones out here. They use those to put your glasses on. <laughs> That's right. Just move along. <laughs> and we have the, another set of ears, uh, the ears of our heart. In the book of Revelation and several times in the public ministry of Jesus, he had this little slogan or coda that he would put out, and uh, it simply says, the one that has ears to hear, what is it? Let him hear. In Revelation, what the Spirit says to the churches in the Gospels, what Jesus is saying to the disciples and to the crowd. If you have the capacity to hear, hear. He wasn't looking saying, have you got something behind that long hair? <laughs> he was saying, if you've got the capacity to hear, it will be manifest by your obedience. Yeah. And the doing uh, of that. The early church had been learning obedience and hearing in the, the journey up to where we're looking at in the unfolding of the history. They'd learned it in chapter 1 of Acts where uh, they heard Jesus saying to them, stay at the city until you be endured with power from on high. In fact, the, the word that he uses there is a word that gives us the same sort of picture as if I had a, a dog, sheepdog, and I said, stay. I tried training dogs that we had. We never succeeded. <laughs> but the thought is the dog learns or the creature learns that to hear not just information but instinctively to respond. It's an instinctive. The difference between animal obedience and human obedience is ours has an ability to cognitively or to process the content and the implications of the command. We don't do them by uh, merely blind instinct. We do it by understood. It's instinctive. It's part of our nature to be obedient. That doesn't mean to say we do everything people tell us. Anybody here had a, a time where some adult said to you in a former lifetime, when you did something that somebody else did and you said, they told me to do it? Yeah? And what, what did the parents say? Just, they said, just say stuff. You know, it's just annoying. At least it doesn't, it annoyed me. What really annoyed me is when, when I found myself saying the same sayings to our children. <laughs> and one of the sayings is, if he told you to jump in the lake, would you do it? <laughs> and, and said, well, that kind of obedience, that, that's dangerous stuff. No, it's, Obedience, biblical obedience, that grows out of the uh, call for it and the demonstration of it in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, stay at the city until you be endured with power from on high. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. Remember that? And they've been asking him, is it at this time you're going to restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not if you know the times or seasons that the Father set by his own authority. But after the Spirit has come upon you, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And then at that point, he was received up before they asked another silly question. And <laughs> In the cloud. And what we got there, got a couple of angels say, 
Oh, what are you looking at? Well, the text is a bit better. It says, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, as you saw go, will come again. And then what did they do? It says they went to the city. They went to pray together. They went together and said they were in unity, they were in prayer, they were in obedience, and they began to open up the word. That's the thought here that uh, is with angels. And so Cornelius sees an angel, and uh, he's unaware of what we've just been talking about, that, that journey, he's going to experience it, but he's un unaware of it. And so the angel says to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? And then the angel said to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, bring them back. And he tells them where to go and which Simon to bring back with them. What we have taking place here is we have the gospel begins to extend for a third time in the book of Acts. And it now it started in Jerusalem. It went to Judea. It's now going, it's it gone to Samaria in chapter 8. And now in chapter 10, it's going to go to the Gentile nations. And the, the initiating of the gospel to the Gentile nations is not by digging up an old prophecy, but an angel of the God that Cornelius and his household began to interact with. And one of the signs of their interaction is that they gave to the poor. Yeah? They did things for others already. And they did that. In fact, uh, it's said here that it comes up as a memorial. The third extension it's, uh, that takes place here. It's the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's the third Pentecost. In the book of Acts, there are four Pentecosts. The first one is on Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. The second one is in, some, uh, in Samaria, but in Acts chapter 8, that uh, as Philip and others are involved with the gospel, and it extends. And then there's the one we're about to read here. And then there's one more in Acts chapter 19 at Ephesus. The key in each one of those, there is an empowering of the Holy Spirit that comes on the multitude, not just individuals, but the corporate falling of the Spirit, as had happened in chapter 2. And that's uh, in, in the text tonight. The uh, validity of that, you know, the genuineness of it, what is taking place is as the church grows, this truth grows, and it's this, that Jesus is Lord over the church. The Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. Let's say it together. Jesus is Lord over the church. The Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. Let's try one more time. Let's sing it this time. Jesus is Lord over the church. Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. Right. The Holy Spirit speaks and delivers the mind of he who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is 
not only just influence and power, but the Holy Spirit comes into the company and makes our experience valid. One of the things that uh, is, is in this passage here where it says about um, what he'd been doing, your memorial offering before God, your prayers and gifts to the poor, is there is a... I hit the thing. Oh, yes. It's, it's readable if you focus. <laughs> There is a grace reception point. Simply, and for us at BBC, uh, the whole understanding of grace is a big thing. Because grace is God takes us where we are, as we are, in the condition we are, but in no intention to leave us where he found us. Hmm? So I start again. Right. Takes us as we are, where we are, but with no condition to leave us in the condition he found us. Grace is not an exemption for growth. Grace is the, the heart of our growth and, and development. And he takes uh, here the word that comes from the angel to Cornelius is, your work has come up as a memorial. You have responded, I take you from where you are. And the story uh, rolls along as it goes. Right, let's just shift gears. <laughs> In chapter uh, 10, now 9 to 16, there is a parallel story. What's taking place down at uh, Joppa is Peter's waiting for lunch <laughs> and he goes up on the roof to pray. And in his prayer and pre-lunch period, he falls into the arms of Morpheus, the goddess of sleep. <laughs> so he goes, he goes to sleep, and in that state, he gets a vision. And a vision comes out with a, like a, a sheet uh, or a sail, and it's got all kinds of things in it. Animals that were clean, that according to the... Uh, the book of Exodus and Leviticus, the law, and animals that weren't. Things you could eat, other things you couldn't do. So, so you've got a mixture there of beef, steak, pork pies, and black pudding. <laughs> <clears throat> and a voice says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And he answers, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure, unclean. Voice says a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, the text tells us. And immediately the sheet went away. I think we got a picture. There we go. One etching. At the same time as this is taking place, and Peter's wondering in verse 17, uh, what's the meaning of the vision? Uh, the men that Cornelius had sent in the, in the first paragraph we looked at, they were arriving. They're arriving at his house, and they're not just knocking on the door, they're making themselves known, speak loud. 
and they're looking for Simon, Peter. But at the same time, the text tells us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, says to him, three men are seeking you. Get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And they begin to tell the story about uh, Cornelius, a righteous man, a holy angel spoken to him. And Peter takes them into the house. Now, this is a big thing, because he's taking pork pie black pudding eaters <laughs> in, in, into the house. And it, it was a big thing. I know sometimes we have our fads and ways that we want to uh, go about food, but w with them, this was God, God told them. I remember uh, pastoring a, a country church one time, and uh, we had all sorts of interesting people turned up in the charismatic renewal. It's just like they got shook out everywhere. And they came out of legal old Pentecostal streams and different places, and British Israelites. And if you don't know what they are, just be thankful you don't know. <laughs> and the, uh, they, they all began to turn up. And this guy was, was trying to reach people, but he was so tight. And one of the things that a lot of the early Pentecostals did is they wouldn't eat pork because it was unclean meat. They wouldn't serve it. And... Uh, so this guy is telling me he's trying to reach this family. And he said, Pastor, I've been trying to reach this family. And I went around and uh, they said, will you come for dinner? And I said, sure. Because you know? they looked up to him, an old fellow. And uh, he's there. And, and they say, look, um, would you carve the roast for us? And, oh, yeah, like, happy to do that. And so they bring out a pork roast. <laughs> and poor guy. Ah. So he said, I, I, I said a grace then. Even. <laughs> you know, bless it. You know? And... Uh, then he said, we're cutting it further. And the guy said, God's really provided this. And he said, oh, yeah. And he said, I said another grace. And then he said, yeah, I won it in a pub raffle yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably meant it was hot and not from cooking. <laughs> and he said, I, I said another one. And I thought, You're growing, brother. You're getting there. <laughs> so that, that takes us to the fourth point. <laughs> that uh, the next day... Peter starts out with them. They stay overnight. They set out the next day. And also just a one-liner in there or half a liner, some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Some of the Jewish believers went along with him. He just didn't go by himself. He took backup. And uh, because preserving the back was pretty important. Because remember, the enemy stabs you in the front. Brothers always stab you in the back. Yeah, don't worry. I used to have wings, but the backbiters ate them off. <laughs> the, uh, um, so they arrive at Caesarea, and Cornelius has uh, been expecting them, and he calls them together. And when uh, Cornelius uh, sees Peter, he, he falls down on his knees, and he says, no, get up. I'm, I'm a man, just like you. Um, and it's uh, a challenge to stand up, only a man. 
And he takes Peter inside the house, and there's a large gathering. It's a full house full of people. So he's got his crowd and his backup team. <laughs> and uh, he goes into the house, and the house is pretty full of people. Right, we, we did that. Did that. We, we're making progress, Rob. We're getting there. So, uh, and he's going to preach uh, uh, his sermon. So we'll go back one. The sort of things that are said now are a challenge. Sometimes people say things to us and the language feels rather blunt. Sometimes they are being rude. <laughs> and, uh, but other times, that's the best thing they know how to say. Another time is they're saying, this is me, this is where I'm coming from. And so... Uh, Peter does two things, and as he's done that, when he first went into the house of Cornelius, he says, verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has made me understand. He hadn't just talked to me. He has brought me to an understanding that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Our, our series we're talking about is encounter. And the encounter isn't just a moment. There's encounters inside the encounter. And God is great at upping the ante on us. He's the great cosmic poker player. <laughs> he keeps upping it up. And he, he did that in, in his, his ministry days. Uh, and uh, he uh, does it here. So Peter is saying, that's where I'm at. But when he comes now to this uh, piece, the, in um, what's going to be his sermon, uh, verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent me to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And as I begin to read this, I think, hold on. He's gone to Cornelius' house, but he's preaching to the choir. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I better lose that one. He's, he's preaching to the song, the worship group. It's, and uh, as, as you follow through this, this uh, paragraph, what he, he's doing is he's saying not Cornelius needs to get saved. He's saying we've got to change. We've got to change. We've got to understand there's something different taking place. I'll keep reading it. Verse 37. You know the message God sent to the right people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know, this, his followers, you know what has been happened through Judea beginning at Galilee after the baptism uh, that John preached to how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. 
We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and the, on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him. After he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one, the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him and everything who, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He is being impacted and he is letting the folks that are following him say, Jesus always intended for the nations. I have tried to be so pure uh, in what I felt I should do. I've been trying to walk in two directions. The tower is, is the road they don't get together. And the further they go, <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to fall over. <laughs> but it, you tear yourself apart. And sometimes we tear ourselves apart mentally and, and attitudinally rather than uh, walking in the direction God is giving to us. The angel has spoken. The spirit has spoken. The spirit is speaking. But while Peter's saying this here to his followers, the other people over here are saying, <laughs> this is how I see it. They're thinking, when's he going to get around to us? The last paragraph starts out beautifully. While Peter was still speaking these words, and he was as extending them, this is, we have the polished version that Luke gives us here, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking with tongues and praising God. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is, he don't want to keep waiting. <laughs> yeah. And Peter's covering his back several times over and making sure it's right. And, and kaboom, the Spirit falls as it did in the beginning. If you want to know as it did in the beginning, go to Acts chapter 2. That'll give you the idea. If you want to refresh a bit more, go to Acts chapter 8. And the power of the Spirit comes on all of them and they begin to worship God. Speaking in tongues, yes, but speaking in tongues, the glorious works of God. Bringing into the languages that they had not learned of Hebrew so they could be proselytes, but bringing in the languages of, that the Spirit gave them to speak. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they're glorifying God. They're not just uh, getting an ecstatic experience. And Peter's saying, I never touched them. <laughs> and hey, come on, you guys, <laughs> you saw it. And we just got a little bit here, but in reality, the whole next chapter kind of still deals with it <laughs> because they've got to work it through. This is radical shift, radical change for them. And Peter comes up with a so what now question. An answer, and he simply says these 
words. Can we read them? We can read them. We can do this. Let's go. Then Peter said, They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Encounter. Encounter, not just on encounter, but integrating. And the messengers are not left unchanged. They too are changed. The church begins to shift gear in an amazing way. Part of the gear shift that is a challenge is that the book of Acts has two what's called apostolic personages, Peter and Paul. And when we get to the 13th chapter on, uh, Peter got, Paul got saved the, the chapter before we were working tonight. But when we get to the 13th chapter on, it shifts from a, a strong Peter action focus to a Paul action focus. There's something very significant happening here too. It's this. Peter is a rural evangelical. <laughs> he doesn't come from the city of Jerusalem. He comes from up north. And he comes from the edge. He's even got a bad accent, <laughs> according to the Jerusalem folks. And, but he's on the edge of Judaism. He's in Judaism, but he's on its edge. He's not a scholar. Man empowered by the Spirit. Man knows the Word because that was normal within the practice. Paul is a scholar. Paul is a man right at the heart of Judaism. God does this through the, this transition time. He takes the man from the edge, Peter, and puts him at the heart He not only puts him at the heart, but it's not the man who's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles that initiates this in this initiated spirit experience. Paul is going to come later. And Paul from the heart goes to the nations and to the cross and multicultural approaches. God in his wisdom calls you and I to go to areas where our heart will be planted differently than it was. Our, our heart will be different than to work with people that are not like us, but to have a passion that makes them like us because we see ourselves as brothers, sisters, family. Shall we stand? The answer is yes. <laughs> The musicians will reappear. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent the Spirit in the answer to the prayer of Jesus. We thank you you, you send the Spirit to us in fresh ways. You visit us supernaturally. 
for the end purpose that we might obey you and enable your gospel to cross to the end of the world. Father, we, we ask very simply, impact us, direct us, refresh us for your sake. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your time.